0: I had done some consulting and done some individual work, but I missed having a team. I really enjoyed building a team, leading a team, drawing out the talents of the team. I think that's the most fun part. I think witnessing how these disparate people from different backgrounds and different skill sets can come together and deliver. The biggest lesson for me is how important that was. Early in your career, you're motivated by your boss. You're motivated by the problem, but really it's in those later years when you're building teams you're motivated by the team you don't want to let them down like I didn't want to let my bosses down early on you want to be there for them you want to see them grow and I love really honest people direct people I, I value that greatly and so I appreciate hard-working people who really care about
1: each other and are super honest in a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work. The employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves and each other.
2: Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America.
1: Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Steve McLean. Steve's career includes more than 30 years of diverse experience in marketing and strategy development for large corporations, as well as entrepreneurial startups. His career has been focused on consumer marketing and business development for top brands like Sprint, Ford, ADP, and USAA. Steve joined Unbound, an international nonprofit organization based in the Kansas City area, as Chief Marketing Officer where he leads a team of marketers, business development, creative services, and media relations professionals who are focused on creating sustainable growth for Unbound. Prior to joining Unbound, Steve was the Senior Vice President of American Century Investments where he was responsible for overseeing the retail division, which served over 600,000 individual investors and had $36 billion in assets under management. Steve is a graduate of Rockhurst University and earned an MBA from Webster University. He lives in the Kansas City area with his wife Mary Beth. They have raised five children together and are enjoying a life stage that includes grandchildren. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Steve.
2: Steve, I'd like to welcome you this morning to the Corporate Couch. Thanks for coming on. Oh, Jeff,
0: thanks for having me.
2: Oh, man, I could hardly sleep last night. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So full disclosure, Steve and I worked together in the uh, early Sprint days, which I call the fun days at Sprint. So we've known each other for a while, but really I'm I'm very honored to have you on the the
0: podcast. So thank you. I appreciate it. uh, I've had an opportunity to listen to a couple of the podcasts and you're doing a really great job. I I love that someone's unlocking these stories. I'm a big believer that there's a lot of lessons in stories. So I think that's a terrific idea. Well,
2: thank you, Steve. That's very nice. And I will send you that payment we talked about on the uh, <laughs> recording. Um, well, I like to start out just with kind of two questions, just to kind of break the ice a little bit. But one, we've been now three years, almost exactly, today's March uh, 21st, 2023, three years into the pandemic, yep. and uh, we're now used to Zoom uh, calls and meetings. Uh, so what is the craziest attire you've ever seen someone wear on a professional <laughs> Zoom call or lack of attire?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I have a good one on that one. Uh, Tara Hefner, who is on our team, uh, is very, very funny and and She will do anything to break up the tension. Um, Early on, she was wearing a different hat every Zoom meeting. I think she ran out of hats, but probably one of the funniest. She appeared randomly in a a team huddle with a Chewbacca outfit on and uh, full gear and the voice and everything. So everybody remembers that. And uh, I think she proceeded to share a different wig, a different hat, whatever it was to kind of break up the crowd. It was always a lot of fun. And laughter has always been a a big part of the workplace. And I think sometimes people take themselves too seriously. But having people who have a good sense of humor, uh, despite all the tension of the changes that we were going through, made a big, big difference
2: love it love it um yeah i i've been uh three years into the pandemic i don't know how many zoom meetings that translates in and my claim to fame is i've never wore a baseball cap uh, to, to a, any meeting so I, i'm pretty well happy, that's pretty uh, good bad hair Bad hair. like today but um yeah i did wear my homes uh wig um with, it came with a headband and um sure. uh, just yeah. as a joke so that, that <laughs> i've never revealed that before so you, there you go um
0: that's awesome
2: so the other thing i like to dig into a little bit is just you know people's childhood kind of formulate how they you know act and uh, what they do as adults so uh when you were a kid growing up and you grew up in kansas city correct i did yeah. yes i was so born, born in detroit
0: of- but but my family uh we we're all raised here for the most part so yeah
2: very nice very nice um Yeah, so growing up in KC, what what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, wow.
0: It was a little bit of everything. I was all over the map. I had no real strong draw to any particular profession, obviously influenced by a lot of different people at different stages. At one point, I wanted to be a teacher and uh, really felt like that was an area I wanted to go and uh, influenced probably by some of the teachers that I had early on. Um, later on, actually in college, I was working at a, a fails, failed savings and loan back in the savings and loan crisis. It had just come out of receivership, and um, there were a couple of FBI agents that were in the accounting department where I worked. And I was seriously thinking about, you know, the FBI uh, through the college years. And uh, grateful I didn't go down that path. But they were terrific uh, individuals and. Inspired me to look into that. So, oddly enough, as I was in those college years, I still wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but it was the early 80s and the only people that were getting hired were accountants. And uh, I wasn't a natural at that. I I loved, um, you know, finance and what went into decisions around accounting. But, uh, you know, I went that path because I felt like that would get me an employment uh, after I graduated. So,
2: yeah, a career strategy. Uh, many of us use, including myself. <laughs> Not with get the... hired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I have to get this out uh, before you know, we go on further. But you know, uh, I joke around, and when I introduce you to people, you know, I always say, "Your middle name is." Well, oh, he's a great guy. <laughs> he, he's a great guy, McLean, because every. <laughs> If you ask people, uh, you know, if you meet somebody that worked at American Century, I and I said, Oh, would you do you know Steve McClain? Oh yes, Steve a great guy. Like everybody, <laughs> it's a hundred percent of people. <laughs> so were like were you always a nice person growing up? Or did you have a dark side that oh, you, you had a turnaround that yeah. you actually like, you know, you know, almost yeah, I, beat a kid up to death like in fourth I, grade? I, or-
1: I
0: probably served time somewhere along the line. No, yeah. I I think uh I grew up in a big Irish Catholic family. Uh, I was six of seven kids and uh, you had to get along and, and also distinguish yourself from everyone else in some way and uh, seeing the different talents in my family and how each individual sibling brought something unique, you felt compelled to you know, be your own person as well. Um, but that imprinting. Uh, I, I grew up in a really kind, loving family, and and that made a big difference. Parents were amazing, and um, all the life lessons that are packed in in those early years were to my benefit.
2: Very, very nice. So, um, so we got into why you picked accounting. What, uh, what were your kind of interest in high school? Did you uh, play sports or? Not at all.
0: I wasn't gifted with athleticism like you, Jeff. I was, um, I was literally went to school, came home and actually my thing in, in high school and even grade school, um, I always felt comfortable in a job. I I started mowing lawns when I was young. My brothers had lawn mowing business and, uh, kind of stepped into that after, um, they moved on to high school and college and uh, then went on to the grocery store and, you know, standard kid stuff, uh, left school, went to the part-time job. And I actually always loved working. Um, it was, it was something that gave me self, self-esteem and made me feel like I was part of a team. And, um, you know, there were certainly those days grinding it out on, uh, you know, mowing lawns or in the grocery store, but that had a huge influence on me. So, and I always had, cash in my pocket, which I liked. So, um, that influenced me a lot, but that was kind of, I think my thing. And, uh, it influenced a lot what would come later.
2: Now I'm going to reveal some inside information here that I know based on a uh, recent email exchange. So you're Irish Catholic, yep. so I'm Patty's day, you go to an Italian restaurant. I mean, what's up with that?
0: I did. I mean, it's the road less traveled. I I hate crowds. I like going, I hate standing in line for anything. So, I was with the Italians and I was drinking wine. You were teasing me, like, did you do the Irish bombs? And I was like, not tonight. Well, no <laughs> so, Irish car
2: bombs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, maybe we'll do those on another episode uh, yes, later Exactly. On, uh, the drinking, uh, the Irish Italian drinking episode. Yeah. Um, so uh, what was your uh, first job out of college and how'd you get it?
0: Oh, my first job actually happened in college relative to my career. It was United Telecom. I was an intern, uh, fortunate enough to be picked, uh, by the audit department to be an intern. And I absolutely knew nothing. I mean, I, and I had a mentor tell me, you know, they're going to carry you for a year. Just, just know that you will know nothing. And I certainly delivered on that. And, uh, I was fortunate enough when I graduated that they took me on full time and, uh, did audit for about two years and, uh, really a great way to learn the business and, And be exposed to really sharp people. Um, But I was not a very good auditor. I was uh, probably the world's worst. Uh, You know, I would have to chase down exceptions and reconciling items. And um, I was 22 at the time and, you know, 20 as an intern and the team would go out for a beer. I couldn't even go get a beer because I wasn't even 21 in the first internship I had. So um, but a great team of people, they were all young uh, professionals wanting to start their career and worked really hard and they taught me a ton. So it, it started me at United Telecom, which for a lot of people may not know was the predecessor to Sprint. And uh, after my stint uh, in the audit staff, I had an opportunity to go over to the fledgling Sprint startup side of that business, which was really a wild time.
2: Yeah, that that was a crazy time. So uh, after audit and you went to Sprint, were, were you in the accounting finance department?
0: Yes, I uh, spent about five years in finance and accounting, uh, did a lot of financial reporting. And I, you know, learned a ton there. I think it kind of took the mystery out of numbers and knowing how to run a P&L or look at a P&L and analyze a P&L and a balance sheet, all that was really critical was, uh, time at that time. And I think, um, you know, learned very quickly how important that is to guide a business and understand what's happening inside the business. But my frustration with it was all the decisions had already been made. Uh, I wanted to get out in front where the decisions were being made and decided, are we gonna do this or that? And the the challenge I found with accounting is it had already been made. We were just booking what had been decided. And uh, I was very interested in getting more proactive into the decision-making side of the business.
2: So uh, so you were driven by that. So you basically wanted to get closer to the customer, closer to the customer strategy. So uh, you know, how did you navigate from accounting finance to, uh, I believe you went to the uh, marketing uh, database side?
0: Yeah, it was uh, through analytics and uh, it was really understanding numbers and it felt like that was a great bridge. And back in the day, you know, Sprint was one of those great big brands that put, poured huge dollars in big brand advertising, pin drop and everything else. I mean, millions and millions of dollars. And Jeff, like you, I was intrigued by, isn't there a smarter way of doing this? And how can we start to use the power of data and analytics to make better decisions about where we invest our marketing dollars And um, I had had not had some of that finance background. I don't think I would have been as effective as a marketer. Uh, I've often, and Harry Campbell was one of those mentors I had that early on, he was a boss. He said, you got to know your numbers. And he was one of the best marketers uh, I was exposed to. And he really emphasized that to our team. And I felt strong in that space. I felt like I could hold my own. And I've seen marketers through the years not as comfortable with numbers. And I think it hurts them
2: yeah hundred percent. I mean, you know they wanted everybody wants to have a Super Bowl ad, but what what you know you're paying a lot for does it move the needle? does yeah. it build better customer relationship um so it was Harry, your first boss coming over from accounting? Oh
0: gosh, no, it's a funny story. um <clears throat> probably one of the most dramatic uh experiences I had with the series of leaders I had. I think I calculated how many leaders I've had. I've had over forty leaders in in my career. But in that given year, because of reorganizations and restructurings and variety of other things that year, I think I had five leaders in one performance year. And, uh, Harry was one of those. And it was sad. I only worked for him like two months and I think he moved on to another team. And, uh, so it was, uh, very brief, but very impactful as were a lot of the leaders I had at Sprint. They were always very, very smart, very challenging. And, uh, cause you to think and, and adapt and uh, I really appreciated that that time. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I
2: once at a meeting when I was at uh Beringer Ingelheim, I counted how many people I had reported to at that point. But yeah, Sprint was, you know, my first six months at Sprint, I had I had five different managers. Yeah. So, yeah, it was yeah. it was a crazy it goes so fast.
0: Crazy time. So besides
2: yeah. Harry, who who were some of your big mentors at Sprint?
0: Oh, you know, I think one of the biggest uh, and the longest time period in different jobs and, and situations was Cindy Rock. Cindy Rock uh, was a phenomenal leader. She started out with me in audit. She was a couple years ahead of me um, and looked out for me and was just a terrific person and actually returned to Cindy a couple of times in my career at Sprint. And, uh, she obviously went on to some really big roles at Sprint, uh, namely around customer care. And, um, Cindy just was the ultimate in people leadership and pragmatism. And she wanted to get stuff done. And, um, she really wanted to break down the problem and understand what was driving it, but she was very close to her people. And, uh, wanted to see progress. So you felt like a lot of good leaders, you, you don't want to disappoint them. You want to work hard for them. You want to help deliver. And uh, she rewarded you with uh, a lot of support and encouragement along the way.
2: Who was the worst boss you had at Sprint?
0: Oh gosh. Uh, one comes to mind. I'll spare the name, probably still here in town. Um, but uh, I think, you know, I think even as you've exposed on your podcast, sometimes you learn uh, more about yourself uh, when you have a bad boss and, and during that and where do you draw from the strengths uh, inside, but also what not to do and what you don't appreciate. Uh, this particular leader was super disengaged, all about you know the structure and the hierarchy and read his Wall Street Journal every morning for three hours and then proceeded to stick his head up. And come out and then go back to his office. He was very disengaged. So, I think someone who's going to roll up your sleeves, their sleeves, and be with you in the problem solving and checking in on the teams—that's that's what matters.
2: So, besides mentors, um, you know, I think you're considered a, a, a great leader, and people love to work uh, for you and and do great things. So, you know, we're besides you know mentors. What else honed your leadership skills?
0: Well, I think, you know, my parents were huge influences on me. My dad was, um, he had an incredible career. He started out as an office boy in the railroad industry, worked at the same place for 50 years. Uh, He rose to the executive level and through a lot of hard work, had an unbelievable work ethic. And uh, what I admired most about him is his persistence and his ability to relate to people. He was very much a people person. Um, He retired three times. Um, He was called back two times to return and help with a particular strategic problem. And um, I learned more just sitting across the table from my dad. And he was an incredible storyteller, often in parable form. Uh, I'd come in and share a struggle I was having at work and He would harken back to 1971 with something, whether I was complaining about the deregulation of the telecom industry, he would liken it to a story of the deregulation of the railroad industry. And uh, he just had something for every scenario and it kind of put a perspective on it. So if I was ever struggling with anything, it it was showing up and just listening to him that I would be inspired. And he gave you a sense of perspective that the small stuff doesn't matter and that particular day's worry isn't gonna uh, matter in 10 years
2: yeah very very nice sounds like your dad was like one of your heroes growing up oh my
0: gosh he was amazing and my mom as well she was a quiet humble hard-working very devoted to family and uh you know taught the value of working they were both depression era kids and so um they always lived very humbly and um fully expecting that the depression could return and, uh, very rarely, uh, serve themselves. They were always about sacrificing the family.
2: So out of the seven kids on the McLean, uh, family basketball team, were you a, <laughs> one of the starters or do you were one of the two that came off the bench? <laughs>
0: oh, I was, I, I think all of our talent in basketball and any sport went to my little sister. She, uh, she dethroned me. I was the baby for, for six years. She came along much later in life and, uh, she was just such a gift to the family, but, um, it was, it was her that got all the athleticism and she ended up being a really unbelievable basketball player and volleyball player through the high school years and probably could have gone into college, but she was done by that time. And, uh, so I tease her, you know, that the reason she was so good was because I was out on the basketball court showing her how to do it. So, but she beat me quite often. I can tell you that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean Sprint was
2: fun. I mean, I think we were a little ahead of our time. Uh it was uh myself, you, and Mark Vobrill, and we kind of got the one sprint thing, you know, not not conceptually going. We actually started a database marketing forum. So that that was really yeah. fun. We brought all the divisions together. Yeah. Um, sprint PCS, which was not part of Sprint at the time, and yeah. really we started trying to do some things around that one sprint idea. So that was fun. You mentioned by telecom, but we had local, we had sprint international. Yeah. Um, oh, the, yeah. Di- various different divisions. So it was, a it was an interesting time. So, uh, so you, you spent 14 years there. What, what made you leave sprint?
0: Well, it was interesting because, uh, you recall that it was such an intense, intensely competitive, um, marketplace you know the mci worldcom the, you know the at&t battles price price wars and you just grew up with that kind of mindset that you know you had to stay above and better than the competition and um you know it was one of those critical moments where uh, I was being uh, interviewed for a particular role outside of Sprint and someone said, yeah, it's great. You've done all this at Sprint, but what, what have you done without the big brand of Sprint behind your name? I was like, well, nothing. I mean, I've always been here. This is what I grew up with. And they said, well, if I were you, I'd go out and get something that's uh, a little bit different than that. And so at the time I was in partnership marketing and um, it came to um do some uh, partnership work with a firm out of Boston. It was an upstart company and it was actually a great group of guys. And, uh, it was the go, go, you know, 19, uh, 99 into 2000. And, uh, the founder said, why don't you come work with us? And so I was like, "I, I live in Kansas city and this was before zoom and all this incredible technology that you can connect with people. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not moving to Boston. And, uh, He said, that's all right. You could do it remote. And uh, so I took a business development role there. And I really wanted to be on the ground floor of something. I I love building. I love seeing things uh, transform and change over time. And so it was an opportunity for me to work with a very small group of people. And uh, they were all super smart guys and uh, just had an unbelievable time. Worked there for four years. And it it was uh, through the tech bubble burst, and everybody was migrating to the smaller upstarts. We almost didn't make it, but ultimately uh, the firm was sold for two hundred forty million dollars to Pitney Bowes, and it was just a great experience to be able to witness that and be part of it. So, um, and I commuted to Boston uh, much more often than I thought I would, um, and I'd leave on a Sunday night and come back on a Thursday night, and work from home on Friday, and. Uh, was on the road probably three weeks out of the month uh, during that four-year period.
2: Wow. So you go, uh, so you're working for Sprint, probably I'm going to guess at that time, 50,000 employees, give or take, 45,000 total. And you go to an an upstart uh, company, entrepreneurial. So what, what was your biggest surprise kind of making that
0: transition? that's a really good question um i think one of the biggest surprises that i had was that not everybody had learned what we had learned at sprint um you and i have talked about this the conveyor belt at sprint has it it was so high speed and there was so much going on at once that the lessons were multiplied in that kind of an environment and oftentimes i would go into that smaller environment these these guys were all harvard dartmouth grads i mean they're really sharp guys but they hadn't been exposed to business conditions and situations that were life lessons at Sprint all those years. So I think like my college years, like my Sprint years, I underestimated how much I had been exposed to, how much I learned. And everybody comes with a different perspective and a different background and frame of reference. But that, those years were incredibly formative and uh, just terrific training ground.
2: Yeah. hundred percent stuff we learned through the university of excellence, total quality management, it's yeah. things I still use today. So yeah, yeah we, I totally agree. And was that your first uh, role in sales, this business development role for this company?
0: It was, it was, we had a pipeline responsibility and we had a venture capital company, you know, checking in every month. Are you getting your sales? Are you getting the contracts and B2B kind of sales model? And, uh, it, you know, it was, it was three to four year kind of cycle that, you know, to convert customers. And we had to reduce that significantly down. And fortunate for that business, we had a cash cow side of the business. And then we have this emerging product, emerging division that we were trying to build at the same time. So we were able to survive the tech bubble burst because of that cash business and ended up growing that, that new division on a very lean model.
2: So you move from a finance accounting role to kind of marketing and sales analytics to marketing mm-hmm. kind of, that's been your career arc so far. You get into sales. Who was your mentor there? How did you go about learning, you know, to become a great business development person?
0: Yeah, I think it was a combination of people. I had, um, I had a boss at Sprint. Her name was Terry Morrow. She was very, um, uh, very good at understanding kind of what through the eyes of other people and partners, uh, what they would need and want and how they can come together with a common goal. Um, You know, at the end of it, it's it's relationships and it's truly understanding how you can come together and help somebody else out. And uh, at the same time, be a guide for what's needed within the organization. I always believe that if you're coming together with another organization, you can't, you know, just Go with what their agenda is. You have to represent your firm and what they can do and what they can't do. I think you have to really understand inside the organization what you're capable of doing and what's not possible. Because if if the expectations aren't managed with that customer relationship, you're going to end up getting uh, people very upset. So. I loved being able to get out and meet new people. Um, it was hard. It was hard because they ask hard questions. They expect a lot, way more than maybe you're capable of. And it's kind of bringing those two individual groups together and, and trying to make something happen. My dad always used to say, nothing happens until somebody sells something. And uh, he was a great reminder of that. And he was right. I mean, he, he, you can sit there and talk all day long, but if you don't, if you don't close business, you're not going to end up you know, having anything to support it.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's that's a great reminder. I uh, love yeah. that quote. Um, so the company gets bought out. Is that when you came back? Uh, well, not came back. You obviously did not move. But is that when you went to American Century Investments? Yes.
0: Yeah. So I, I picked up from there to join American Century and I had been a client of theirs for years and always admired the quality of the organization, great reputation. It was one of those reasons that I I did come back. I wanted to get off the road and took a position uh, a little bit uh, less than what I wanted, but I felt like it was worth it to be in Kansas city. I was responsible for coming into the retail division as a leader of acquisition. Um, Fortunately um, I had an opportunity about six months later to step into the VP of marketing role and uh, for that retail division. And it just was a wild ride ever since then. So Um, had some wonderful leaders, wonderful opportunities. And they, you know, they placed a lot of trust in me. I think the challenge with that was going into a completely different industry. Most of the people in that industry grow up in that industry, much like telecom. But I felt like I brought a consumer mindset to that role. And I think you can get a little too into your own products and uh, lose sight of who the customer is. And I think that was something that I was able to bring to the role. Yeah,
2: so obviously, uh, we both worked at Sprint, now T-Mobile. Uh, but you're you're basically working for two iconic Kansas City-based companies, right? So what was the big difference in the cultures of American Century and Sprint?
0: Yeah, that's good. I think both had strong Midwestern values and I think also um, really, really smart people that just motivated you to be as smart and work as hard. Uh, So I really appreciated that. I think they both both had some coastal influences. Um, You know, uh, coming from the East Coast, coming to the Midwest, there was that element. And I love that uh, mix of of folks. Um, I think the the most stark difference between the two was uh, American Century was privately held. Sprint was very public. American Century had a lower profile than Sprint, of course, but uh, quality reputation. And I think um, a big distinction with American Century was their strong presence of their founder, Jim Stowers. He he was just an amazing guy and uh, such a spirited element inside the building and influenced so much of the day-to-day work at, at American Century. And so... I think outside of the industries being wildly different from one another, I think it was that um, strong legacy that he brought that was very different from Sprint.
2: Yeah, I think, again, having not worked at American Century, I think part of it was... You know the public versus private uh, and um but i also think and you know i'd love for you to expand on it. it you know since sprint was a very hard driving culture a lot of type a personalities trying to build you know fiefdoms get more mm-hmm. people so they can move up the corporate ladder and sometimes that you know was with proving the business you mm-hmm. know uh, in mind but sometimes not yeah um, and i think aci was, um, especially in the early days, I'm, I'm not sure so sure now, but uh, American Century was, had the culture that was built on James Stowers' personality, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'd love for, love for you to expand on that. What were the culture differences like at, at, there? At yeah,
0: I, I think uh, the extreme client focus, doing the right thing for the client, He he instilled that in the organization and that you know, nothing matters compared to that. And if you're aligned with helping them and meeting their needs uh, you know, that was stated early on from his perspective, he witnessed how many financial services companies go astray um, by trying to drive what their own agenda is. And he felt like if you stay close to that customer and uh, understand their needs, you're going to be um, successful. And so um they they really live that, and I think they uh, all the employees really aligned around that. And um, I I do feel like culturally, um, just as smart of people uh, work there, and uh, certainly good leaders and bad leaders, just like at Sprint. And uh, lessons learned in, in that environment were incredible.
2: Yeah, and I think the other thing I think American Century was on the kind of really a pioneer in. Taking care of the employees, I mean, they mm-hmm. were ahead of their time just with the benefits, um, you know, knowing, you know, obviously knowing you and a lot of other people that worked at American Century, any, any uh, thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, there's no doubt, um, you know, the employee was considered, a, you know, really an associate inside the organization, they treated them with a great deal of respect, very attuned to what their needs are. I know Diane Gallagher's there in HR now. She's a terrific person, great business leader, um, very much uh, a caring type individual. Uh, we had some wonderful uh, leaders overall that doing the right thing uh, motivated people. And I think they guided their decisions around employees that way. Doesn't mean there weren't tough days. Uh, we went through that horrific 2008 financial crisis and uh, had to make some really, really tough decisions. And that was a, a really uh, unique time because you'd go in every day you didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, you're reading the headlines to figure out
1: what tomorrow would bring. and uh, It was intense. That concludes part one of Jeff's interview with Steve McLean. Be sure to listen to part two as Steve continues his story with his life after working at American Century here on the Corporate Couch.